coming out to be baptized. Father, I do pray that you would just bless this time we study your word. Uh, I, I pray that as we look at these things that um, are important for us to take note of, uh, you give a promise here. And we've talked about these subjects going through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Uh, but Lord, uh, they are given to us so we can take in the whole counsel of God and to be wise and discerning the days in which we are in. Help us make application for today. And Lord, I pray it would just actually bring comfort to us and not to trouble our hearts. The things that we read about uh, can be troubling, but it's troubling to those who don't believe. Uh, it concerns us and it causes us, you know, sorrow and, and to weep, even as Jeremiah did and Isaiah given the messages of the Lord um, and judgment and all that. Uh, because we see that people don't have you, don't believe in you. And um, we, we weep over that. But we rejoice over the fact that we belong to a kingdom that is established forever. So bless this time as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So keep in mind, Joel, that it, um, Joel is the whole theme five times in these three chapters that he's speaking about the day of the Lord. And Joel is one of the older prophetic books uh, of the Old Testament. And uh, it is older than Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel. And matter of fact, maybe the, the book of Obadiah is the only book that may be written before Joel. But Joel is beginning to talk about something before even Isaiah does and Jeremiah the major prophets, and that is the day of the Lord. Obadiah that is speaking and bringing speaking of judgment against Edom, the Edomites. Uh, he mentions the day of the Lord that sh shall come upon all the nations, and here Joel is, is speaking about it as well. And as we talked about it in the Olivet discourse, going through Jesus talks about that period of time that there will be troubles such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. And we know that even uh, Joel is speaking about that time. He, he talks about a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The people come great and strong, of like whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them. And so it's a dreadful, terrible time where the sun won't give its light, the, the moon is going to turn to blood, and, and it's going to be a time right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And to where here, as we are seeing with Joel, that promise given that a nation is going to be restored. And as we continue through this section, he is going to be prophesying about the nations that are going to be taken to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and they're going to be judged when the Lord comes back. And we are actually going to be talking about that as we move into chapter 25 of Matthew, the judgment of the nations. And so we'll get a good handle on that subject as well. Kind of interesting to think about how the nations are going to be judged according to how they treated God's people. But Joel starts out with speaking about a literal locust infestation that came in and devoured the land, devoured the fig tree, the olive tree, the vineyards. 
and, and, and nothing green. There was drought, and the cattle uh, were stressed because there was nothing for them uh, to eat, and, and the flocks of sheep suffered punishment, and there's no, no harvest at all. So it's a very difficult time, a time of locusts, a time of drought, a time of famine that is coming into the land because of that. But then he looks down through history at a time that is still future for you and for me, and that is a time of the day of the Lord that begins with the tribulation period. It goes to the second coming of Jesus Christ and then the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. So let's pick it up at, at verse 18. As uh, the day of the Lord is upon, as he's uh, in chapter 2, speaking about the day of the Lord upon the nation, God's people, there is a call to repentance. They blow the shofar, um, and they are to consecrate a, a fast, they call a sacred assembly as we end it last time. Gather the elders, the children, the nursing babes, and the, the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. So this is a, a call of repentance for all people, our call to this, to turn back to the Lord. And it speaks so much to us personally as individuals. And, and as we discussed even a couple Sundays ago, that uh, as the Lord comes back, the, the nations of the world will fight against the Lord to no prevail. And for us, we can make application of, are we fighting against the Lord in anything that he's dealing with us that is bringing that conviction, calling us to repentance? Maybe a sin or, or you know, something that uh, the Lord's been dealing with us about, and we're fighting him over it. We're wrestling with him. We're, we're ignoring it. We need to come to that place of repentance. But also it speaks to us as a nation as well a nation that needs to turn to the Lord so he can heal our land. And we're going to see that even though the locusts devoured the land, speaking down through time, there's going to be a time where the Lord's going to heal their land ultimately, and it's going to blossom and bloom. And we see that in the uh, books of the prophets in the millennium reign that's going to happen. So let's pick it up at verse 18 as he begins to talk about the land being refreshed. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer. This is after a call to repentance, after you know they, they um, are uh, coming to him in sackcloth and ash, and, and as they uh, rent their garments, and, and we know that the Lord, uh, as they return to him, he's gracious and merciful and slow to anger and great kindness. And, and the goodness of the Lord is being spoken about. So the Lord will be zealous for his land, for his people. The Lord will answer, verse 19, and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them, and I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. So again, the day of the Lord speaks of a time of judgment, followed by a time of blessing. And we see that God will protect his people and defend uh, his people that have repented as they cried out to him and be zealous for his land, uh, the land that the Lord gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's the thing. When we repent in our own lives, 
He desires to drive out the, the, the enemies. He desires to refresh those who uh, have drought that's going on in their hearts, famine in their heart. He desires to do that healing work. And he speaks of it in such a wonderful way in this section as we continue reading here in verse 21. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Now, in verse 20, I want to go back and read that. Um, but I will remove far from you the northern army, so this army that's coming in, and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face towards the eastern sea and his back towards the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things, is what it says there. So here this army, this great army that chapter 2 speaks of coming against Israel. I believe uh, that is speaking of that time at the end of the tribulation period when the nations of the world meet in the valley of Megiddo, of Jezreel, and they are fighting that last world war. It seems like, as Zechariah chapter 14 tells us, that Jerusalem's going under. Matter of fact, half the city falls. It looks like they're going under. They call a fast. They call the assembly. They call uh, a return to the Lord in repentance. And the Lord will step in at that time, and he will save Jerusalem, and he will save his people. We also know that Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 11, as Paul begins the chapter by saying, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. No way. And he's going to keep his promise to them. And in that day, all of Israel will be saved as you continue through the chapter of Romans chapter 11. So God has a plan. They're going to go through difficulty. They're going to go through the, the fire, the tribulation. They're going to be persecuted very heavily by the Antichrist. But the Lord is going to come back and he is going to deliver them in what is a national uh, restoration, not just a physical restoration. We've seen a partial fulfillment of that as they come back into the land. Israel's a nation once again after being absent for 2,000 years but a spiritual restoration that will take place at that time as well. And we read that this army, that, that as his face towards the eastern sea, his back towards the western sea, verse 20, his stench comes up, the uh, you know, foul odor of it will rise. He has done monstrous things. But as I read in verse 21, let me read it to you again. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. You know, man does monstrous things. You know, and, and the sin of man. And man thinking that, that we can bring peace to the world and it's going to get more rosy and cheery. Man is sinful. And that's one of the things that has been reiterated to me and perhaps to you going through the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24, reading these prophecies that the end of man, the, the end of uh, man's government and, and all of that is going to come to a disastrous end. That Jesus said that if those days were not shortened, that even it, they were shortened for the elect's sake. We would have destroyed ourselves, in other words. And that's in Matthew chapter 24, talking about the Great Tribulation period. The man would have just completely destroyed himself. So he does monstrous things. The Lord does marvelous things. Will you remember that? 
remember that. The world is not our hope, but the Lord is our hope, and he does wonderful things. Verse 22, don't be afraid, you beasts of the field. And I think that that's an important exhortation for you and for me, even here tonight. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be troubled. And I see that in the New Testament, as Jesus said, that don't be troubled in your heart to his disciples in that upper room. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you that where I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be as well. So the Lord's going to come and receive us to himself. Paul, when he was writing about the rapture of the church, the blessed hope, he says, comfort one another with these words. And even the day of the Lord, as he says, we're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. You and I, sons of the light, sons of the day, we're not of the night or of the darkness. Be sober, be watching, but we're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Comfort one another with these words. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a year later when he writes to them, they thought they had missed the rapture of the church. And, uh, and Paul says, don't be shaken in mind. Don't be troubled. You haven't missed it. Uh, first, there's, you know, as though the man of sin has been revealed and, and the false church, you've missed that that day will not come until the Antichrist comes on the scene until the false church. So he's saying that you haven't missed the rapture of the church. You're not in the day of the Lord is what Paul is saying in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and here, we don't have to be afraid because we have a wonderful, wonderful future that is ahead for you and for me. But for the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit. So speaking about the land again that, it, that was devoured by that locust infestation, uh, devoured by that army. Remember the army came and there's uh, in the beginning of the chapter that fire devours before them. Um, and, you know, the flame burns and uh, there's a desolate wilderness. Nothing shall escape uh, the appearance of horses and, and all of that. The noise like chariots, um, like the noise of flaming fire dev devours the stubble. As they come in, it's like a fire, like a locust infestation. But then when the Lord comes and intervenes, that the land's going to blossom once again. Uh, for he has given the former rain faithfully, verse 23 as uh, we are told, rejoice in the Lord your God. We don't have to be afraid. Uh, he's given us the former rain faithfully. He will cause the rain to come down on you, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So as we read this here, we know that, um, that uh, we're reading where... Uh, the land will flourish, restoring of the land. It will be time to rejoice and be glad. I can't wait for that time. You know, as I see the things that are going on all around us, and even as, you know, we find ourselves in, in the middle of September, shortly it will be October, but I remember in August as we began the Olivet Discourse and we began to, you know, we were finishing up Ezekiel and and all the things that have happened just in the last couple months, I mean, seeing Afghanistan fall, the, the upheaval there, the persecution of Christians that are taking place. We see hurricanes, the fires out west, uh, COVID that continues to spread, and uh, hospitals full of patients. Um, these are very, very difficult times. Flooding, the flooding in New York um, after, you know, um, 
you know, Ida, the hurricane hit Louisiana, and then it went up through New York and New Jersey. More people were killed at that time than the, the hurricane that did so much destruction down in Louisiana. Um, it, it's just very difficult times. And the upheaval, and we see the birth pangs, we see the sorrows that are taking place, and, and we get concerned. And as we read this, it just reminds me, I can't wait till the Lord comes back. And then as Isaiah says, that righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And, and what a glorious time it's going to be. And here's the good news. You and I get to rule and reign with him. So it, it will be a glorious time. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. And we need to keep priority to things of the Lord, the kingdom of God. And there's going to be a time of rejoicing. We do hear a lot today about, also as I read this, a lot about you know man-made climate change and how drought is and, and how hot things are getting and all of this. And we know that in the tribulation period, that as God is pouring out his wrath in a Christ-rejected world, when the trumpet uh, judgments come and then the bull judgments are poured out, that the living things, you know, are, are going to be put to death. The green trees and grass are going to burn up. It's going to be a terrible time. But when the Lord comes back, even as we read in Ezekiel, in the last part, the, the house of the Lord there in Jerusalem, and the waters coming forth, the heal all the waters uh, of the earth. And, and he is the Lord, the ultimate environmentalist. He's the one that's going to bring healing to this world. And he is, again, reminding us he is our hope. And he is the one that's going to set everything right when it comes to the nations, when it comes to ruling and reigning and righteousness. And even when it comes to the environment, he's the one that restores the threshing floors and the rains to come. And we continue as we read about this, verse 25. And verse 25 is the verse that you might want to underline. So I will restore to you the year's locusts. That is, the swarming locusts have eaten the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts, my great army which I sent among you. As we read verse 25, that the Lord would say to us that I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. And what he says in that is that as you turn to him and surrender to him, and maybe you've gone through years where you've been in rebellion against the Lord or whatever the case may be, and um, you know, trying to figure things out in your own way, in your own energies, doing your own thing, that as we turn to him in humility and surrender to him and saying, Lord, uh, I can't do this, and coming to him and saying, Lord, I need you to walk in your ways, he restores the years that the locusts have eaten, the locusts that came because of their sin. The locusts that came because of their turning away from the Lord. And any time that we want to repent and truly come to the Lord, he receives us. Will you remember that? And sometimes we're hesitant. We think, I can't come back to the Lord. He's not going to receive me. He's going to receive you. But there's a sincere surrender to him and a coming to him and a humbling ourselves. And as we continue to walk with him and look to him, that he wants to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Listen, the world, the locusts, are just going to eat away at you. It's the Lord that's going to restore, and he's going to build, and, and he's going to heal, 
And he's going to bring comfort as we trust in him and look to him. And he desires to do that work in any of our lives, in any of our, our situations, to do that restoring work, that, that, that work of just bringing us to that place of blessing and peace and joy and strength in the Lord. In verse 26, as we continue reading here in the chapter, that you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and I am the Lord your God. And there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. You might remember that in Ezekiel that there's that term over and over again that Ezekiel would speak, speaking the words of the Lord, that they may know that I am the Lord, that I am the Lord. And at this time, that they will know that, you know, that I am the Lord your God, and there is none other. And it's something for us to know now, by faith, that he is the Lord, there is none other. And his people will not be put to shame. Even in the New Testament, it speaks about as we follow after him, even though we might be persecuted here, even though we might be put down, even though the world's going to hate us, we are not going to be put to shame. That we will stand before the Lord. And the Lord receives us, those of us who are forgiven and as our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're not going to be put to shame. Maybe people try to in this world, but not before the Lord. And they shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. And he is our ultimate satisfaction. And verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. So that verse may be, those two verses there, uh, 28 and 29, may sound familiar to you, and it's because it's what Peter would quote in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit came upon those disciples in that upper room, and they're speaking with different tongues. And as Peter stands up, he says in, in chapter 2, uh, as people are going, what is this, you know? And Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose. They, they're hearing languages that they recognize as they were speaking in, in different tongues. And we hear you know, each in our own language in which we were born. And all those uh, different languages are listed there in chapter 2. And, and they thought, are these guys drunk, you know, or, you know, um, you know, and the multitude coming together were confused uh, because everyone heard them speak in their own language. They were amazed. And um, as Peter gives an answer to it, and we are to give an answer, he says that this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel. And he quotes those two verses that we just went over, but he also quotes that the sun shall turn to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here Peter is given an answer that this is that which was spoken of Joel, that God's pouring out his spirit, you know, on, on all flesh here. And we know that um, we see that 
Um, it's a partial fulfillment that we have seen uh, at the day of Pentecost through the church age. And then the ultimate fulfillment will be when the Lord comes back and restores Israel. And it shall come to pass, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So when the Lord comes back in the millennium reign, this is going to be the ultimate fulfillment of that, the complete fulfillment of that. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth and blood and fire, pillars of smoke. And he goes on and he quotes, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in the Mount Zion and in Jerusalem it shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as we've called upon the name of the Lord, we have salvation. And that's what Peter was saying. And he, he speaks of the gospel. And as 3,000 got saved that day, and for the last 2,000 years, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there is going to be that time in the day of the Lord that there is going to be the moon that, that um, is going to be turned into blood. And the sun is going to be darkened on the great and awesome day of the Lord. And as we finish the chapter here, um, verse 32, And it shall come to pass, as I've already read, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And so, you know, speaking of the cataclysmic events of the day of the Lord, and they will call on the name of the Lord at that time. And, uh, and it shall come to pass in Jerusalem. There shall be deliverance among the remnant who the Lord calls. And now chapter 3, he speaks about God judges the nation. For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah in Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land and they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. So in that days, he pours out his spirit, captives from Jerusalem and Judah as he's speaking about the nation and some suggested that this was fulfilled in the Babylonian captivity. But I think it's speaking of the end of the age. Uh, again, uh, the theme is the day of the Lord. That, that There is judgment followed by blessing that happens. Uh, we know that Jesus, uh, in the end of chapter 23 of Matthew, that he would weep over Jerusalem. He said, your house is left to you desolate. And you won't see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know from Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, that we just went over, that he's going to gather his elect from the four winds. And then Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 3, I will cause them to return to the land. But also what will happen is the nations are going to be gathered during that time. So when the Lord comes back, that there is the restoration of Israel, uh, spiritual restoration. He's going to save Israel, save Jerusalem, and he is going to establish his kingdom, but there's going to be a judgment of the nations. And again, we'll see that in Matthew chapter 25. He'll gather the nations, and that's what he's beginning 
to talk about here in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the Valley of Jehoshaphat is believed, maybe speaking of the Valley of Megiddo or the Jezreel Valley in northern Israel. You can go there today and stand in this valley and is, uh, you're standing at Megiddo on one side uh, of the mountain range and then you look across into the mountains there of central Israel, you have Nazareth up on the hillside, but there's this fertile valley that's there. There's an Air Force base that's there and jets are coming out of you know that Air Force base and actually it's underground. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing just this to be there and look over that valley and to think this is where it's all going to end. And um, so the nations are gathered against Jerusalem in that last world war and they're going to be brought to the valley of Jehoshaphat, verse 2, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have also divided up my land. Now, what is the big thing today is Israel's come back into their original homeland ever since 1948. And the talk of it today has always been dividing up the land. And, and we know that God gave that promise to Abraham that you and your descendants, this is your land. And it's a lesson for another time. So God has given them that land as a heritage and those who have come along and tried to divide it and take it away from them, it's interesting that that's mentioned here. That's one of the, the, the things that we hear about today uh, is dividing up the land, dividing up Jerusalem. When God says it belongs to the Jews, it belongs to his people, and he's the one that has given it to them. And so they are going to be judged, the nations, based upon how they you know, treated his people and, uh, and uh, how they have responded to his people. Verse 4, indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the coast of Philistia? And, of course, he's, you know, the Philistines were major enemies uh, against uh, you know, Israel, um, particularly in David's time. Uh, and with, uh, will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head. Um, in other words, uh, if they try to fight against me, it's going to be turned on them. And we, as we have talked about, it's foolish to fight against God. Any nation, any person um, is foolish. So Tyre and, Lebanon, uh, Tyre and Sidon up in Lebanon, uh, the, the Philistines, um, speaking of those nations... Um, as he's going to judge them for their action against God's people. But again, bringing it home to us here tonight is those of us who are listening, how many times do we try to fight against God? And, and how's that working when you do? When I do? It doesn't work very well, does it? And it is one who yields to him and just saying, Lord, I, I don't want to fight against you. I want to yield to you because any of us that we fight against the Lord or wrestle against the Lord, we're, we're going to lose. It's going to be turned on us, you know, turn on our own heads. And so we are to yield to him because he loves us and he wants to do what's best for us in our lives, to experience that abundant life that he has for us. Because you have taken, verse 5, my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions, also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far 
from their borders. And so the reason of judgment is because they took his possessions and treated you know, his people harshly. And we continue reading in verse 7, Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, or Arabia, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. So God's judgment against Tyre and Sidon, also prophesied by Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Um, you read about the proclamations against the nation in Isaiah. We read it in Jeremiah as well. And you can go back and look at that. Uh, the people of Sidon were sold into slavery by Antiochus III in the Grecian Empire in, in 345 B.C. Um, and Tyre and Gaza were enslaved, Gaza being in that area of the Philistines, by Alexander in 322 B.C. So, you know, uh, here it's given a larger picture because what we read here is that the Lord is speaking of all the nations um, as uh, we look at this uh, in verses 7 and 8. Um, and uh, the Lord has spoken. Uh, he's speaking of all the nations here as he's speaking of the judgment against the nations. And then verse 9, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. So in verses 9 through uh, what we see in verse 17, he summons the nations to prepare for war, but as they prepare for war, he is going to prepare them for judgment. So we continue reading in verse 9, As prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, let the weak say, I am strong, assemble and come all you nations and gather together all around Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. So again, as we look at verse 10, it may ring a bell with you. And, and we can go to Isaiah in the early chapters of Isaiah. And Isaiah, uh, as he's speaking about the millennium reign, uh, that what's going to happen in the millennium reign. Uh, and I'll read it to you in chapter 2. And he shall judge between the nations. This is verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 2. And rebuke many people. So that's what Joel is prophesying about. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. So here is Isaiah is talking about, you know, uh, in this chapter, that it shall come to pass in the latter days that in the millennium reign, when the Lord comes back, that they're going to, you know, beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, because he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And they're going to learn of war no longer. And as we see this, um, it's going to be a time, again, uh, where there's not going to be war. The Lord will reign from Jerusalem. Matter of fact, in, in chapter 2 of Isaiah, he talks about the mountain of the Lord's house. We saw that in Ezekiel's chapters 40 through 48, the Lord's house that was spoken. All these things coming together uh, as um, he's going to judge the nations here. And uh, they will gather all around because you're mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Verse 12, let the nations be weakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come on down, for the wine press is full. Verse 13, 
The vats overflow for their wickedness is great. So Jesus speaks about the judgment of the nations. It reminds us what is being spoken of of Revelation chapter 14 is that image of the winepress of the wrath of God, you know, is given to us there. And, and uh, the, the judgment of the nations and those, you know, there that dwell on the face of the earth uh, as God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And the Lord will cause their rebellion and, you know, uh, uh, will crush their rebellion, that is. And their grapes are crushed in a winepress. So this, this vision of a winepress, of, of the wrath of God, of a sickle that is put in for the final harvest that will come when he judges the nations. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark. The stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So Joel here looks to those nations. Again, the valley of decision that is is there. Now, it's interesting that I've heard, I remember one teaching on this that... um, you know, it was kind of an evangelistic message that you stand in the valley of decision, you know, and reading these verses. And, you know, we all have decision to make for the Lord. Um, but that isn't the context of Joel here. It is the context. God is making the decision. And at this point, it is too late to make a decision for him. The judgment has come. Um, and when the great white throne takes place after the millennium reign, those of the unrighteous dead will be resurrected and they will stand before the great white throne judgment and they will be cast into the lake of fire. That's why the scripture says today is the day of salvation because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us, to any of us. So here again he talks about, you know, the stars will diminish their brightness, you know, um, it, it, during this time, the Lord will roar from Zion, speaking of Jerusalem there, his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, this, this cosmic and geologic disturbance that will come. It's, it's going to be uh, an incredible time that happens. Um, and so you shall know, verse 17, that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens ever shall pass through her again. And so speaking of the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, and in verse 18, it shall come to pass in that day. Always take note of that. It shall come to pass. Not that it might come to pass or is a possibility, or this is just an allegory. Um, I do not understand those who buy into amillenniumism, that ah means no millennium, when there's just hundreds of verses in the Old Testament that speak of it, and it's all consistent. The holy mountain of God. We saw the holy mountain of God spoken of in the book of Ezekiel. The house of the Lord. He's going to come and rule and reign from there. Um, All these things, it shall come to pass. And that's a phrase that we see in Isaiah particularly. It shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. It will happen. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The hills shall flow with milk, and the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord in the valley of Achaeus. It's interesting, when we were looking at those final chapters, the Millennium Temple in Ezekiel, that as it spoke about how 
Zechariah chapter 14, the Lord comes back, he'll touch down on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will heave in half to the north and to the south. And then there's going to be a river that's going to flow from the altar of the Lord there that's going to flow to the west, to the Mediterranean, and heal the waters of the world, and then flow to the east, to the Dead Sea, to where they're going to be fishing in the Dead Sea. So we saw that river that was spoken of that comes from the house of the Lord, healing the waters of the nation. Remember in the tribulation period, as it's talking about this, this upheaval and a, a dreadful time, and when we look at the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the water's going to turn to blood. It's going to be polluted. But yet when the Lord comes back, that healing water is going to come forth. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. The fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord, the water of the valley of Achaeus. And then as we finish Joel here, Egypt shall be a desolation. And Edom a desolate wilderness because of violence against the people of Judah. For they shall shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will quit them from the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So in contrast, the land of her enemies will be desolate because Israel's enemies are guilty of violence and the shedding of innocent blood. And the Lord will dwell in Zion, and Israel will be forgiven and shown mercy. He shows mercies to his people as Joel ends in that way. So, Father, we thank you for this time to study in your word. And, Lord, again, it shall come to pass these things. And your promises in your word concerning the nation of Israel and the restoration of Israel, your people, will come to pass. But, Lord, your promises to us that, that those who call in the name of the Lord shall be saved, as Joel prophesied 2,800 years ago. And those of us who have called upon you that we are a forgiven people and that we are saved, and we have a godly heritage and, and inheritance. And we can call out because we have the spirit of adoption, not of fear, but the spirit of adoption where we can cry out, Abba, Father. And we're so grateful for that, that we have a, a blessed hope before us, that we have a wonderful future inheritance that is incorruptible, that is reserved for us, as Peter writes, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May that cause just us to be, Lord, full of joy and hope and gladness. And Lord, I pray for us, for people who are here, that, Lord, that you would restore to years the locusts of Eden. For those who are experiencing just the consequences of, of sin or, or the world, that as we turn to you, do you do that restoring work in our lives? That, Lord, do you bring healing to us just as you're going to heal the land? That we would hear your voice roaring in our hearts and do a mighty work because you do marvelous things. And that is the truth of the scripture. And you want to do marvelous things in our lives, even right now. I pray you bless everyone here as... We finish our week. We look forward to meeting on Sunday again, talking about the return of the Lord. I pray that our hearts would be warmed, our eyes on you, and calling on you, be humbled before you. And so, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this little book, Joel. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.